the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Today we'll continue our three-part mini-series on the three letters of John, the overarching theme being truth, Lies and Love in Action. Last time in Session 1, we discussed Warring for the Truth. Today in Session 2, we'll talk about Walking in the Truth, examining the shorter letter of Second John. Before we dig into Second John, I'd like to share a quote from the well-known Christian singer and songwriter Michael W. Smith, who said, If you are a Christ follower, the evil one is after you. When you signed on for Christ, you enlisted in a great war. You became a combatant in a titanic battle for spiritual dominion that has been going on since before Adam and Eve. The enemy has marked you for annihilation, and his demonic armies are aiming their big guns right at your heart. It's a serious thing to be a follower of Jesus. We must find ourselves in a state of constant dependency on him. We must ask God for his strength to overcome the evil one and resist such temptations. Friends, those of you who know me know that I love science fiction, and particularly space science fiction, specifically the Star Trek Next Generation series. Well, one particular episode in Season 5, called The First Duty, centered on young Wesley Crusher, an ensign stationed on the bridge of the Starship Enterprise, while being schooled through Starfleet Academy. You see, Wesley got caught between loyalty to his squadron friends and the need to tell the truth becoming involved in a cover-up after a flight exercise rehearsing for a graduation ceremony resulted in a deadly collision. The Enterprise's captain, Picard, gets wind of this cover-up and calls Wesley on the carpet in his ship's ready room. His dressing-down speech included, The first duty of a Starfleet officer is to the truth, whether it's scientific truth, historical truth, or personal truth. It is the guiding principle on which Starfleet is based. 
Now, friends, let me stop here, because I propose there's a biblical parallel to this statement. As Christians, we could say, truth is the guiding principle on which Christianity and our sacred book, the Bible, is based. Couldn't we? Well, let's field test this idea by recalling some things that the Apostle John said in his first letter that we discussed last time. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, If we claim to have fellowship with him, God, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Next, verse 8, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Next, chapter 2, verse 4, Whoever says or claims, I know him, this time Christ, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. Next, chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. Notice now the Antichrist comes into the picture, which John will elaborate on in his second letter, Second John. Next, chapter 3, verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with word or speech, but with action and in truth. Next, chapter 4, verse 6. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, or falsehood. Notice, friends, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. Does he care about the truth? I'm pretty sure he does. Next, chapter 5, verse 6. Jesus Christ did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it's at the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. You see, friends, the Holy Spirit cares about the truth because he is the truth and why he's called the Spirit of Truth. And lastly, chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from false gods or false teachings. So, friends, when John begins his second letter, he simply continues his mindset of truth, lies, and love in action. And, friends, we'll see that in this letter, John's tone is much warmer. He simply refers to himself as the elder. Even though John had apostolic authority, he writes with the love and care of an elder. This was the first century designation of an older, wiser person, seasoned in life and worthy of respect. John was now an elder in the faith and was the overseer of several Christian communities. Remember, persecution was escalating, and emperor worship was in full swing, so Christ followers tended to communicate with code language. Some scholars suggest that John's opening greeting to the chosen or elect lady is code language for this congregation he oversees, and I tend to agree. Since Second John is only 13 verses, I'll read them all. 
the elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth because of the truth, which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of you children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing to you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person, the deceiver and the antichrist, watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister, who is chosen by God, send their greetings. Now, friends, notice that in just the first six verses, both truth and love are mentioned five times, and all five occurrences of love is agape. And this is why I propose that the lady referred to as not a particular woman, but rather a code designation for the church to whom John's writing. In our New Testament, agape refers to the love God has for us and for the godly love we are to have for one another in the body of Christ. The second thing to notice up front is how truth and love are linked. In verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace are with us in truth and love. And this link continues in verses 4 through 6 where walking in truth is equated with walking in love. Recall today's session is called Walking in the Truth. John even goes a step further by teaching us that walking in truth and walking in love mean that we are walking in obedience to Jesus' commands. Verses 4 through 6 are a complete thought. Now, friends, John has a very specific reason for saying this. In verse 7, he reveals his love and pastoral or shepherdly care and concern for his flock. They've been infected with the virus, the false teachings of the Gnostics. You see, for John, the Gnostics represented antichrists, antitruthers, deceivers. Verses 7 and 8 paint a picture of the Gnostic false teachings encroaching into this house church community, as verse 10 seems to suggest. I can just picture John as an angry dad, worried that his kids are being exposed to the wicked works of the Gnostics, as verse 11 reveals. Let's recall 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil— 
Before that verse, John says, the devil has been sinning from the beginning. That's why, friends, last time I mentioned that the early Quakers developed the idea of the Lamb's War. They understood that war was needed to be waged against the whole work and devices of the devil, the God of this world, and his laws, his customs, his fashions, his inventions. The God of this world vigorously opposes the Lamb and his followers and hates us with a passion, as do his minions, the demons. Let's recall what I said last time. Jesus' coming was God's spoiler alert to spoil the devil's works. Satan works overtime to destroy humans by magnifying sin, the foundation and strength of his kingdom. I hope we're seeing, friends, that even though love and combat appear to be an oxymoron, they must go hand in hand. Because we love the lost, we must be willing to engage our enemy in spiritual combat to win them back, declare war on the enemy of our souls. This picture is paramount in Peter's first letter, in chapter 5, verse 8. You know it well. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing this same kind of suffering. Friends, if the devil isn't looking for us, maybe it's because he doesn't need to hound us. Maybe we're already in his grip. God forbid we'd ever become like those Paul writes about to Timothy. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant, that's us, must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Friends, I said this last time, and I'm going to reinforce it today, that we must jettison this notion that obeying Jesus' commands is a legalistic concession to our relationship with God. Nothing could be further from the truth. All scripture, read properly, affirms over and over that our God of love gave us commands so we can know and learn how to love him back. If we see our Bible strictly as a book of rules and regulations, we'll doom ourselves to be ruled and regulated by rules and regulations, and not by the Holy Spirit. Friends, we tread on dangerous ground when our litmus test becomes anything other than the Holy Spirit's personal guidance coupled with the proper interpretation of God's word. But there's still a caveat here. We must be totally sold out to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, and his rule over us. If we're not, we'll suffer, and the community of Christ we belong to will suffer. God may even withhold blessings to discipline us. Verse 6, I believe, is the centerpiece of John's letter of 13 verses. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his 
Jesus' commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Wow, did you feel that punch to the gut? And that punch carries with it three very significant statements, ones that echo John's words in his first letter, as well as echo the sentiments of Jesus himself. First, walking in truth. Second, walking in love. And third, walking in obedience. And friends, these three statements actually correspond beautifully with my charge from our last session, which I'll repeat. One, loving the truth. Two, being loyal to the truth, contending for it, warring for it if necessary. And three, living in the truth. Now, verses 7 through 11 elaborate on the lies aspect of this series, where John calls the deceivers out, even calling them antichrists, because they refuse to accept that Jesus came in the flesh. Well, just read over verses 7 through 11 to get the picture. Recall that Gnostics held that the material world was evil, making human beings evil. No god would ever inhabit a human body and become evil. In verse 8, John was alerting this community he was discipling to watch out, otherwise they'd lose all they'd worked for. In John's first letter, we can deduce from chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, that the false brethren he's addressing were originally part of this community. Here's a short excerpt. Dear children, this is the last hour. Many antichrists have come. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. Friends, the Great Commission is not go and make converts, but go and make disciples. After Peter's first sermon in Acts 2, take note of the commitment the apostles made to discipleship. And remember, 3,000 religious but unconverted Jews responded to this first salvation message. They, these new converts, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I call these the Fab Four, teaching, fellowship, sharing meals, and prayer. Want to know if your church or any church is a discipling community? Are these fabulous four things integrated into the church's life? If not, Acts 4.42 is not being practiced. Just listen to Acts 2.43-47. I call this the piece de resistance. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. John the Elder, with a shepherd's heart, was protective of his community, as he should be. Unfortunately, some broke away and embraced the false teachings being offered, but others were clearly walking in the truth, walking in love, and walking in obedience to Jesus' teaching, which brought John great joy. John, though older and wiser now, remains a diligent and committed shepherd over those that were entrusted to him. Friends, John is a testimony to what Peter called the role of elders in 1 Peter 5, 1-4. 
To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Friends, John's shepherdly care continues to be seen in this second letter as he communicates with this flock and even makes references to another church fellowship that sends greetings, as verse 13 suggests. We might even understand verse 13 to say, The believers in your sister church send their greetings. Well, friends, Second John certainly leaves us with some personal challenges to consider, doesn't it? As it reveals truth, lies, and love in action. In fact, I'm going to propose that we take my earlier three exhortations and turn them around into helpful questions. First, is loving the truth my ultimate priority? In other words, do the decisions I make find agreement with the truth of God's word? Second, am I being loyal to the truth? In other words, am I actively contending for it? Warring for it? Is it valuable enough to defend? And third, am I living in the truth? Since the Bible in both Testaments describes our life in Christ as a walk, as in walking with God or walking with Christ, is my walk praiseworthy? God-honoring? This made me think of Psalm 1, likely one of the most familiar psalms. Listen to how it begins. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. I love the contrast in Psalm 1 of the blessed versus the wicked. And the blessed ones are not people who simply get things from God. This is not the Hebrew understanding of blessed. The Hebrew understanding is that the blessed ones are fortunate ones, ones to be envied and whose joy results from being in a right relationship with their God and not from outward circumstances or material possessions. It's an inward condition that thrives because we are vitally connected to and in a personal relationship with the living God. The psalmist fully understood both the upward progression and the downward spiral and the temptation that pulls us down. First, we walk with the wicked. Then we stand with them. And finally, we sit with them. In other words, we settle in and become just like them. Maybe this is what happened to some of the members in John's communities. Maybe they began by just fellowshipping with the Gnostics. Then they began standing with them and finally sat down with them and became imitators of their ways. But friends, we know better, don't we? 1 Corinthians 15.53 helps to coach us in our walks with God when it says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character or morals. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. Because, friends, as John lovingly describes the believers in his flock, 
It has given me great joy to find some of you walking in the truth. And as Second John unfolds, we discover a continuity with First John, in that John motivates his Christ followers to continue walking in truth, continue walking in love, and continue walking in obedience. And as John addresses these Christ followers, he differentiates between truth, lies, and love in action. It is becoming increasingly clear that as 1 John, 2 John, and we'll see next time in 3 John, that this loving elder and shepherd cares so much about loving the truth, being loyal to the truth, even if it means contending for it or warring for it, and finally, living in the truth. Well, friends, here's a little teaser from 3 John to whet your appetite for our next session. Here's a few of the opening verses. It gives me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You are faithful in what you do for the brothers and sisters, even though they're strangers. They have told the church about your love. Show hospitality so that we may work together for the truth. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, I can see that we're nearing the end of today's program. Our broadcast will close with an email where you may write me. I truly appreciate those of you who write in and share your feedback on programs that have impacted you in some way. It's truly a blessing. As some of the challenges are seeping into this new year, 2022, I'd love to hear how this new year series, Truth, Lies, and Love in Action, is speaking to you. And remember, friends, all of the podcasts are freely accessible at faithtalk1360.com. That's faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts and feel free to share them with others. And please keep in mind, friends, a word from the word is a listener-supported program. So if it's blessing you, please join our support team, especially now during these challenging financial times. Your faithful support is helping to keep this program on the air. Just email me for the details. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word friends if you would like to let pastor tom know what this program has meant to you email him at a word from the word at minister.com that's a word from the word at minister.com Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.